Well, we are going to finish our, our series, People in the Book, and we've been looking at, uh, at the Bible, and we, the first week we looked at biblical authority, second week we looked at uh, biblical devotion, and this final week, biblical decision-making. Um, I looked, I did an internet search, I'm just confessing it's the internet, just various internet sources have said that, that human, as human beings, that we make upwards of 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every day. 35,000. Now, granted, it's very, you know, I try to give good news. This is like, you know, like, you know, news that you count on. So I realize there's various internet sources. But I also read, so I also read that Cornell University, they did a survey in 2007 that said that we make upwards of 221 decisions every day just on food alone. Can you believe that? 221. So I think 35,000 is probably right. So my question is, with all these decisions that we make all the time that we, that so I used the word remotely conscious. I realize some of you are looking at me like, man, I make like two a day. But um, remotely conscious. How are you doing with those decisions? How do you know you're making the right ones? Let me ask you this question. How many of those decisions you regret? Shouldn't have ate that. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. What's the source for how you make decisions? What I want to talk about today is I want to talk about, I want to show you a passage uh, in the verse, in, in the Bible. It's probably some verses that you have heard before, but it sheds light on why we need the, we need the Bible, we need the scriptures in order to make the kind of decisions that, that cause us to live with fewer regrets, that cause us to live lives that, that flourish and quite honestly help the lives of those around us flourish as well. And what makes this, this passage we're going to look at today particularly interesting and particularly relevant is the person who wrote it, because the person who wrote it um, is a guy by the name of Solomon. And if you don't know who King Solomon is, he wrote three books in the Bible. One of those books that we're going to look at today is the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is, is a book that you should read all the time, as much as you can. It's just full of wisdom. In fact, non-biblical scholars have even have marveled, current biblical scholars have marveled on just all the wisdom uh, that this guy Solomon ha- had to offer. Uh, and, and, and it's great because there's 31 chapters, so you can read one every day uh, of the month. Uh, so everyone should read that as much as you possibly can. Now, there's another book that he wrote called Ecclesiastes, and you shouldn't read that until you're after 40, all right? And the reason why that, the reason why people just are laughing is because it's full, I mean, you might think he's pessimistic. I mean, he's just like, life is vanity, and, and you, it, you know, you shouldn't even try because it just doesn't, it all leads to nothing. And so if you're, if you're under 40, you're like, man, what a Debbie Downer, what a pessimist. But if you're over 40, you're like, yeah, that sounds about right. And so <laughs> that's what my life is like. And so, um, but then he also wrote a book called The Song of Solomon that you shouldn't read until you're married or if you think the Bible is boring. Because what would happen is that 14-year-old Jewish boys used to sneak into the temple Right? This is the only time you ever like sneak into church. This is like you want to sneak into the temple so they could read the song of Solomon. If, you've, if you're parents, if you never thought you had to put safe search on your Bible, you've never read uh, Song of Solomon. So don't read that until you're married. But the point of, of saying all that is this guy had just a wealth of wisdom and knowledge in all realms of life, from business to science to finance to marriage the friendship. And the reason why is because when he became king, he was young. He's probably 17, 18, 19, around in that time frame. And when he became king, God invited him. God invited him to ask for anything he wanted. And he didn't ask for fame and fortune or more wishes like you and I did. Would You know, that's what we would ask for. My daughter, my daughter, she, my youngest daughter, eight, uh, she's eight. Her name's Josie. And she says, Dad, I'm going to give you yesterday's. 
said, I'm going to give you three wishes. I said, okay, great. I want a hug. She gives me a hug. Okay, now I want a kiss. She gives me a kiss. She goes, and I said, now I want a hundred more wishes. And she looked at me. She's like, good one, dad. <laughs> and um, but she, that, that's not what Solomon asked for. That's what you and I asked for. We didn't ask for that. He said, I want unparalleled wisdom. And, he, and God gave him unparalleled wisdom. Now, the reason why this is so relevant for our conversation today, the reason why this is so important for what we're going to talk about today, if there, was ever a per, if there was ever a person who could say, God, thank you for the information, thank you for the common sense, thank you for um, you know, this intuition, but you can just kind of go ahead and do your other God activities because I think I've got these decisions covered. Thank you for the wisdom. Thank you for the education. If there's anyone who could have ever said that, if there's anyone who ever could have made his own decisions based upon his own knowledge and his own intuition, it could have been him. But when Solomon answers the questions, how do I make decisions? How do I know where to live? How do I know when to get married? Who to get married to? How to behave? How to relate? What about finances? What job to think? What about, Paul? What about all these different college? All these different decisions. What path do I take? When it comes to making those kinds of decisions. What Solomon didn't do, Solomon didn't say, well, I'll tell you what I think. I know I had that situation happen to me once. This is what I do. Solomon doesn't say that. Solomon doesn't say, hey, if you, if you want to know how to make better decisions, just buy my book. If you buy my book, you, you'll know exactly. Read, read what I wrote. If you read what I you'll. It's not what he says. But what did he say? Well, he said this in Proverbs 3. When it comes to making decisions and how you make decisions in your life, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's everybody say that. Ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Again, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, just the men. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, women. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> Left-handed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we trust in the Lord. This is it. This is, this, is, this is trust in the Lord. Trust in his word. Trust in his command. Trust in his ways. Trust in who God is with all your heart. That means no hedging. That means you, you're just, you, you could fall on your face and... And that's what that word means to, 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 the word trust used here is to really to fall on your face in total dependency. It means you leave yourself vulnerable. There is no plan B. It's just this. And again, if, Saul, if anyone, anyone could have said, hey, you know what, just go with your gut, you know, you, you're, you know just get a good information, you know, get the right, get, it could have been him, but he doesn't say that. He says, trust in the Lord with all your sight. And then check out the flip side of this. And lean not on your own understanding. And lean not on your own understanding. That word lean literally means to prop something up against something else, to be supported by. You see, because my tendency, and this may be true for you if you're willing to admit, my tendency is, is that I lean hard on my own understanding. I lean hard on my worldview, my knowledge, my experience, the books that I've read. I lean on my own understanding. Now, this isn't saying, and, and, and Psalm isn't saying, like, you shouldn't try to grow in wisdom and you shouldn't try to, you know, read books and get facts. But when it comes to the foundation of how you make decisions, the path that you take, what informs how you do marriage, what informs how you do finance, what informs how you do relationships, what informs everything that you do, lean not, do not prop yourself up, do not prop your decisions up according to your own 
understanding. And there are many examples in the Bible on this. Uh, one of my favorites is Joshua. If you read uh, about Joshua, I mean, this guy was leading Israel at the peak of their existence. I mean, he was just, he, he was, he, every battle he won, in fact, he, I mean, he was the guy who marched around. I mean, he even did it with like a trumpet. I mean, if you can win a battle with a trumpet, you're doing all right. So he walked around Jericho seven times and the walls came tumbling down. And every battle, every battle, in and, and, and all the neighboring countries, everybody was scared of, of Israel because they knew that the Lord was with them. Well, if you read up to Joshua chapter 9, there's this group of people who are like, man, we cannot mess with Israel. They're, they're going to come. They're going to wipe us out eventually. So they came up with this plan. They're like, well, we'll pretend to be from a far away place, and we'll, we'll come in and ask for mercy, and, and they'll have mercy because uh, they're good people. So they, they, they like put clothes on that were all ratty. You know, they, they made their bread, like, all dried out and crusty and did it. And been a bunch, basically said, hey, we, want, we're, you know, we need to have mercy. And so when you read Joshua 9, verse 14, it says, and, and Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. And in this decision, he did not trust in the Lord, but he leaned on his own understanding. Why not? I mean, it looks like a duck. You know, it's probably a duck. You know, they, they're, they say they're from a faraway place and look at their clothes and can, can he not discern? I mean, he's this mighty warrior. Can he not discern that? He did not inquire of the Lord, and he made a tragic mistake. That's happened to me. I mean, even in that, in that arena. Like, people have come to me with their emotion and their pain, and this is what's happened to them. And in empathy, like, man, and I've made decisions based upon things that they've told me that ended up hurting other people and even hurting them. Because I did not inquire of the Lord. I did not... I did not, I trusted in my own understanding. I didn't trust in what God says. I didn't trust what the Bible says. Because one thing the Bible will tell you is uh, one witness seems right until the second one comes. See, you and I in our relationships, we'll believe, someone will come to us and we'll believe them because we know them well or whatever. And actually, there's two, and we end up making decisions that hurt and crush relationships because we do not inquire of the Lord. We do that in all areas of life. We do that in our finances. Well, I'm a business guy. I can do finances. I own a business. I can run my life. I can run a business, run my life. You know, I, I, I can do marriage on my own. You know, I, I, I understand politics and social prosperity. I've got 10 Twitter followers. I can do this. We tend to lean on our own understanding. Check out this promise or this in uh, Psalm 81. Psalm 81. Psalm 81 for me is a life verse. Uh, God says through the psalmist, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I just want to like give you this little resume of myself because maybe you forgot I was the guy who brought you out of a very painful situation. Remember that? Open your mouth wide. Open your life to me and I'll fill it. But then he says tragically, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. Their own, they leaned on their own, they didn't trust me with all their heart, they leaned on their own understanding. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies. Meaning like, you know, you and I, we have painful things in our life, we're like, man, this, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. God's like, man, how soon would I come and like on, work on your behalf and turn my hand against their foes? I would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from rock I would satisfy you. My people would just listen to me. My people would trust me. I want to bring good things. 
in their life. See, you, you and I, every day, we're, we're tempted to trust our own understanding in so many ways. We think we can handle the situation. Remember, Solomon, the wisest person ever, the, if there's anyone who ever could have said, hey, you know what, I just looked at my own discernment. God's given me some, a great intellect and a great mind. I'm just going to, I think I can handle this. He's like, no, you can't do that. I, I can't prop myself up on my own understanding. I have to trust the Lord with all of my heart. If you want to get the most out of life, if you want direction from God, you got to trust him, which means, which means, which means, which means that direction doesn't begin with a search for direction. See, most you and I, when we think about, okay, when we need direction, we start looking at different sources. How do I get direction? But what, what Solomon's really trying to say, he's not saying, hey, direction does not begin with your search for direction. Direction begins, now I need to know that you're ready for this word. It's a word that I know you're not going to like. So are you ready or should I wait? You ready? Wait, you want to wait? All right. Close your ears, all right? Here it comes. Direction begins with submission. Direction from God first begins with submission to God. Submission precedes direction. Submission precedes direction. I sit down with lots of people who in their mind think that the Bible is an authority. And they'll come discouraged about their life and their relationships, and inevitably they'll say something, I'll say something like this to them. Hey, this person you're talking about, will you forgive them? Will you forgive them as, as, as Christ has forgiven you? You remember like how he forgave you? He forgave you instantly, completely, and prior to any sense of remorse from you. In fact, while his hands were being nailed to the cross and spears stuck in his side, he forgave you. Will you forgive them as Christ has forgiven you? No, because I'm mad about the direction of my life. I get that. I understand that. But submission to God precedes direction from God. What does it look like to make God and his word an authority in your life? It means that you make the the decision to submit your will to his. Even before you know what his will is. Before you know his will about marriage, you you submit to him. Before you know his will about your finances, you submit to him. See, many people will look at the Bible and like, man, if I could just find, you know, well, I like this part, I don't like this part, and it's not, it's not what is being taught. Having the Bible as your authority does not mean that the Bible is just one of the voices in your life. It doesn't even mean that it's the main voice in your life. Because when you became a Christian, I know not everybody here in this room is a Christian, but if you are, when you became a Christian, you forfeited your rights to your own life. And by the way, that was a very good thing. Paul declares that we have been bought with a price, that our life is not our own. Our, we have been bought with a price. See, fundamentally, when you became a Christian, you, you, you got to this point where you realized that you were a terrible leader of your life. And you realized that, that, that every decision that you ever made in your life just dug you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And you said, Lord, I'm a terrible leader of my life. Will you please come and take control? I repent of my sin. I want you to take control of my life. And he comes in, he gives you a new heart, he accepts you by his grace. He removes your past from you, he removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. 
and, he, and you are literally and spiritually reborn. And he gives you this new pumping heart of flesh, of, of, of his um, spirit, excuse me. So having God's word as your authority doesn't mean the thing that you look, is it, so when you, because what happens, it's not like when you look at the fork of the road, you're like, okay, now I need to, like, I need the Bible's input here, because check this out, it says in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, in your relational ways, in your financial ways, in your marriage ways, your dating ways, your single ways, your speaking ways, your, your, your political ways, your career ways, your entertainment ways, in all your ways, not just in your Sunday ways. Not just in your religious ways. Not just, I need some good luck from God to sprinkle on this decision because it's not going well. Ways. Acknowledge him in all your ways. To acknowledge, what he's saying is like, you need to put God at the center of everything you do. Where you live, where you work, however you make any kind of, the way you relate. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. To acknowledge someone is to admit the truth about their existence. To, to acknowledge someone is to admit the truth of their existence. And so we all know what it feels like, the, the relational pain that feels like when we're not acknowledged. So I walked in a room and nobody acknowledged me. No one noticed me. We know, we know what it feels like relationally to not be acknowledged. So to, to not acknowledge someone at, at the baseline, is this not a nice thing to do? We want it. The second thing, it could also be a big tragic mistake. I mean, you can miss out on some really great things to not acknowledge someone. So if like, you know, I hate to say this, but like uh, Tom Brady is probably one of the greatest um, quarterbacks ever. And uh, I know, I don't, I don't like it either. It's true. And so we, when he was drafted 18 years ago, in the sixth round, the, the last pick in the, in the sixth round, which means that 31 teams passed on him six times. They did not acknowledge his superior skill, and it was a tragic mistake. But it's not just that we can make some big mistakes in our life if we don't acknowledge certain people. It also can be wrong or even evil to not acknowledge. There are groups of people in society who are marginalized and not acknowledged. For years in our culture, African Americans we're not even acknowledged as full human beings. And there are many ways to which, uh, even in our society today, that the, the disparity between races is not acknowledged, and it's wrong. Women have suffered under various levels of not being acknowledged in their value as well as their capacity. Here's another one. Unborn babies in the womb not being acknowledged as being human beings. It's not nice, it's not relational. It can be a big mistake in your life, but you know what? It can be actually evil. And his greatest strategy that all those three things are, and they are great travesties, that a society would not acknowledge the fullness of another race of women or infants in the womb. The greatest tragedy of all is a failure to acknowledge God for the fullness that he is. To not acknowledge him is it's not relational. I mean, he's a father. He's, he's in heaven. He's holy. He's loving. Do you acknowledge him that way? Do you acknowledge his presence when you wake up in the morning? Do you acknowledge him when you go about your day? Is he someone? Is he someone like, you know what it's like to walk into a party and not be, do you treat him like that? 
Or do you not acknowledge his, his superior expertise? I mean, if you've ever had a computer, imagine having a computer problem and like trying to fix it, and you've got like Bill Gates like right there. And all you know, I mean, your only trick in the book is, is just to turn your computer off and on, and like you're hoping that fixes it. If you don't, that's all the tricks you have. But you've got Bill Gates right there. And in your, God knows everything about everything. So it's just like a tragic mistake. But not only that, it's not just that. It's actually evil. You see, we, 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 we speak out and are very, very angry, and we should be, about the marginalization that we see in a world. How some people should be have this value, and we give them this value. We've done that with races. We've done that with genders. We've done that with babies in the womb. We've done that with... We've done that in a lot of different areas, and we say it's evil. But the greatest disparity of all is God is up here, and we have not acknowledged him, but we've acknowledged him somewhere down here. In fact, the cross is the greatest example of that. It says in John 1 that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. His own did not acknowledge him. They, did, they not only treated him not as God, but they treated him as a criminal. Do you acknowledge God for who he is? It is the greatest act of injustice in our world today. To acknowledge God in all of our ways means that we just, means that we just don't acknowledge his presence. Like, hey God, how you doing today? It's not just that we invite him in for counsel and expertise, although he's got a lot of that is that we don't submit to his authority, that we don't say, you are Lord over my finances, you are Lord over my marriage, you are Lord over my relationships, you are Lord over how everything that I think, you are Lord over, Lord over it. One day, whether we say it or not, we could say it now, we could say it later, but one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. One day we will acknowledge him. One day everybody in the planet has ever lived will acknowledge him for who he is. But you can acknowledge him today. To get this direction from God first means submitting to him in every area of your life. And here comes the promise. And he will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. Now some, the prosperity guys have hijacked this to mean like, hey, if you scratch God's back, he'll scratch yours. Like, you know, if you, if you just kind of give God some attention, he'll make whatever path you're on straight. That's not what it's saying. He's saying that if you unconditionally trust him, really the result of that is that he will make straight your path or he'll clear your path. Or another way of saying it is he'll make your path obvious. You'll know which way to go. As you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, he will make the path obvious. But you have to see that submission to God precedes direction from God. And listen, it breaks my heart because I get people all the time who will come in and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll want direction from God. They'll want some direction in their life. And they've got two options and they're both bad. And they ask me, what do I do? And, and I don't say this. I don't say this. I think it. I don't say it. I think it. You with me? So don't say that I say it. I'll think, I don't know what you should do now. But I, I know what you should have done 10 miles earlier 
to get you to where you're at now. Now, some people may say, well, of course you would say that. I mean, hindsight's 2020, right? Exactly. I mean, that's God's point. God's point is you, you do not know the future. Any thought you have about the future is only your theory on the future. And God is saying, I know the, your future better than you know your past and your present. Will you invite me in to your life? Will you trust in, don't trust in your own understanding. Your understanding about the past is flawed. Your trust about the, the, the present is flawed. You better be sure to understand that your, your ideas and theories about the future are flawed. But he is the God who stands above all of it and says, will you trust me? Because the problem is, is when we get in those difficult spots, the only way to really get back on track is to go back 10 miles to that place where we stopped submitting to him in the first place. But very few of us are willing to make that journey. And we're just looking for shortcuts. And we keep digging ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper. And God's saying, won't you acknowledge me? Why won't you acknowledge me? I will make your path clear. And the, and the reason why we don't is because this isn't a mental decision. This isn't like, oh, you just need to like reason. You know, like if you just had, if you just had enough you know, reason power, you could figure this out and, and figure out that God's really the way to go. The reason why this is such an issue is because it's really an issue of the heart. It's not, it's not a mental problem. It's a heart problem. That's why it says in Ephesians 4.23, it says that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. That we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Our minds need to be transformed. See, when you and I became a Christian, um, God, it says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, that we, have been, we are now new creations. But that new part of us is our spirit, that spirit that lives forever, that God has instantly, and without any merit, has instantly made us one with God. He lives with us. We are seated in heavenly places. We have been made totally new. He makes us completely new, and there's nothing at all wrong with that. But our minds and our bodies have some catching up to do. Now, I've got bad news for you. Um, your bodies will never get better. They'll only get worse until that day when you are resurrected and you get a new body. But you, I mean, you should like eat carrots and exercise and things like that, but it's, it's just not going to get any better. It's just going to keep getting worse. You'll have little moments, we'll get better, but it's going to get worse. Your body has no hope. Your mind, on the other hand, is being renewed day by day. Romans 12.2 talks about that. It says that uh, to be transformed, not to be conformed to the world, not to have your mind conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4.23 says to be renewed by the spirit of your mind. What does that mean? It means that you're, you're, you don't just have a mind. See, your mind isn't just like a computer, like analyzing data and comes up with objective opinions. I mean, we know that by now, right? You don't just have a mind, you have a mindset. You still have a view. You have a viewpoint. You have a bent. You have a way of seeing the world that needs to be renewed. So it doesn't matter how much education you throw on that. It doesn't matter how much willpower you throw on that until your mind is renewed. You're, you're, so we need our heart. We need to say, God, man, I, there's, I have a view. I don't just have, it's not just my views need to change. My viewpoint needs to change. It's just not my mind needs to change, my mindset. There's a spirit, there's a bent, there's a hostility I have toward you. There's something in me 
that when, when I read your word and I hear it tell me certain things, I ruffle. It attacks my ego. That's a mindset. It's a worldview. And the worldview that God wants to have. So, so our hearts have been changed. Our bodies have no hope. Sorry about that. But our minds have a chance. They're being renewed. And God says, I want to continue that renewal process in your mind. What will happen to you ultimately and finally on that day? We will see him and become like him in a twinkling of an eye. It's happening in our minds right now progressively. And so we need to continue to submit to that. Submission, that's why submission to God comes before direction to God. Now, why would God do it this way? Why would, give, why would God give us his word and say, hey, I want, you to, I want you to like learn to submit to me? Why wouldn't he just give us like a transcript of our life to make every decision? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be like way better? It wouldn't be, and here's why. God's goal for your life isn't that you become a great decision maker. Thank God, right? His goal for your life isn't that you become a great decision maker. His goal for your life is a relationship with him. He wants, he wants, he wants to draw you in close. And for those of, those of us who are parents, as much as we want our kids to make good decisions, I would rather have kids that make imperfect decisions that I have a good relationship with than kids that make great decisions that I have no relationship with. God will take you in your imperfect decision-making because he wants to draw you in close. So he doesn't say, here, here's how to nail good decisions. This is how you draw close to me. And I will take care. Yes, I'll, show, I'll tell you about college and marriage and all that other stuff. But the main thing is that you come to me, that you trust me with all your heart, and I will direct your past. Why don't you stand?